Hush Money is a production of iHeartRadio. This is Hush Money, the show that tackles the most taboo money topics you're currently thinking about. I'm Nicole Lappin, financial expert and author of the books Rich Bitch and Boss Bitch. And I'm Jason Pfeiffer, editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And we believe that just because we're socially distancing doesn't mean we need to be financially distancing. Everyone has concerns about money these days, but the biggest problem is not talking about it. So that's why we're back for a special season to face these issues and talk about solutions. Because there are solutions. So let's not stress and get through this together. Hey, Nicole. Oh, hey, Jason. Uh, So I just got, just before we started recording, this crazy email, maybe the greatest thing to happen in the world, or probably a spam email. Sounds like all my emails to you. (laughs) It says, thank you, my dear. I can challenge to discover coronavirus vaccine within 30 days. For this reason, research, I need $1 million only for biochemical. Please send me $1 million just now in Western Union. Okay, yes, I need a miracle. I can conquer fear and doubt. Um, You think I should send him a million? Totally. What are you waiting for? I know. This is it. This could be the end of the pandemic. I got this. I was like, okay, that's funny. And also kind of infuriating that, not kind of infuriating, really infuriating that somebody out there is like, oh, cool. Global pandemic, great opportunity for me to try to scam some money out of people. Like, what the hell is wrong with people? Well, somebody did that to me, but not in an email. And nobody called me dear, by the way. That's hilarious. Oh, you missed out. But I got a voicemail on Sunday night. It was like around Mm -hmm. five from Maria at the SBA saying to call her back because there were, because obviously I applied for the PPP loan and all sort of SBA funding. And it took me a minute to think, do I need to call these SBA people back? And then I was like, no. Hello, this is Sunday night. First of all, SBA is not working. They're not working on Sunday night. Government jobs, they're definitely not working Sunday night. definitely not. So then I asked my banker, is there any chance that the SBA is calling me? And they're like, no, there are a lot of scams out there. Yes. I actually called back by accident. And it was just a woman that answered, hello. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is definitely not the SBA. Wow. It was like some random lady in Queens (laughs) just like, chilling. Wow. She could get to call back. Come on, scammers. You could do better than that. But it got me. Like, it got me. And I'm giving financial advice. And I took pause at it. So this is super messed up. People should not be trying to take advantage of this. No. This is not necessarily a great transition into our call, but there is value here in that, you know, I would say that the people who are reaching out to you from the SBA and me uh, looking for a million dollars, you know what those could be? They could be side hustles. They're kind of shady side hustles. And I don't like shady side hustles, but I do like real side hustles. And we actually have a listener who asked us about that. Hi, my name is Lauren. I'm a business developer at a tech firm. And I have a tutoring slash editing side hustle that I launched in December And by the end of January, I actually had about 10 clients or students and it was going really well and I was balancing a lot, but it was really exciting. And then by the end of February and early March, I had close to zero and many of them 
told me that they were unable to continue due to the economic uncertainty. Some of them wanted to wait and hold off until we could meet in person again, which is an indefinite amount of time at the moment. So my question for you is, do you think it's possible for me to get something like that relaunched in the middle of the pandemic? And if so, what advice would you give me on how to do that? Yes, Lauren, I love this question. Yes, 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 yes. You can launch it. You can run it. You can do it all. You should do it right now. Yes. I have so much to say about this. Okay. First of all, you are not alone in wondering this and also in going for it, which I think you should go for it. New research from GoDaddy just came out. They found that one in five people are setting up a new business or a side hustle during lockdown. So lots of people are going for this. You should not be afraid to go for it. And I think the most important thing to think about right now is to think think about what you can do now that builds to the future. Like now is not necessarily the time to cash in. It's not the time to build what you might feel is a robust business, but it is a time to be there for people and prove your worth and show your value and do the kinds of things that people are going to remember from you when we get into better times. So what can you do for people right now, even if they can't afford it, so that months from now, they will say, Lauren was there for me, provided so much value, and I want to give her all the money. I love it. You should do it. Go, 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 Lauren. Nicole, what do you have to say? Your passion about the side hustle is analogous to my passion about the Roth IRA. I get really, really stoked about it. And I go on a long (laughs) TED Talk about it. It reminded me of advice that I gave during BC times, before Corona times. Mm -hmm. This entrepreneurial idea that like, go out and do what you love. This whole Gary V entrepreneur, author, influencer, expert person saying like, if not now, when? Burn your corporate bra, YOLO, FOMO, whatever, yo. Go make that (laughs) alpaca farm in South America. Why not? And I'm like, Actually, why not? Is because yeah. maybe you have to pay the bills. Maybe you have a family to feed. Like there right. is no shame in feeding your family. And in fact, I didn't have the luxury to do what I loved. I freaking hated finance. I didn't want to do finance at all. I wanted to sit under a tree and be a poet and write. And I started as an English major. And then I got in journalism. And then that led me to finance reporting. And I needed a job. So I said yes to the job. And then I became a writer just not the kind I expected. So I figured out how to love what I did because I didn't have the luxury to do what I love. So we're not in BC times. And now a lot of financial experts and business experts are rethinking advice for this new normal. And I would say like, if there was ever a time to just do what you love, and if you do have the luxury of doing that, like caveating that by saying that that's a high class problem to have, to like be thinking about a side hustle and not worrying about just making ends meet. So if you do have that luxury and you have the time, like this is the time to do it. Yeah. Also, you can do what you love if you define what you love broadly enough. Like there's a difference between saying the thing I love is making punk rock t-shirts, like really hyper-specific. But if it's like the thing that I love is making people happy, 
The thing I love is helping people get smarter. The thing I love is helping people build things. Like if it's broad enough so that you just understand what you're good at and what kind of value you can bring to people, then you can start to build some kind of service around that that people are going to find valuable. And there are all sorts of opportunities now to do that because people's needs are great. I actually, I had dropped a line to Fiverr, you know, Fiverr, which is this website where people sell freelance services and ask them what kind of trends they've been seeing. And it was really interesting. So this, um, this woman in their communications department wrote back to me and said that when the pandemic first began, they saw a large increase in people signing up to sell a variety of different services. And what was really interesting was that the largest uptick came from people creating gigs and buying gigs. So there was like the creating and the customers um, that were like really personal oriented. So like cooking, music, crafting lessons, fitness plans, because, you know, people's lives had been completely disrupted. And so there was this need to step in and start to fill the gaps or at least help instruct people on how to do the things that they used to be doing in real life. And now that's shifted. And so they're seeing that kind of stuff level out. And now they're seeing demand for business-related services come back. And that's also quite interesting because it means that we're moving from the panic phase to the adaptation phase. And the reason that I bring that up is to say, don't think like, what am I passionate about? Like, Because that doesn't really lead you anywhere. But think, what value can you provide? Like, what do you know? What are you good at? What could you charge people even a nominal amount of money just to build a client base to do right now? And then think, what do people need? The intersection of what people need, and that is going to change. And if you can't anticipate what people need, then you're really onto something. The intersection of what people need and what you can provide. I know that sounds obvious, but literally, if you step back and think of it that way, you are right on the path of building a side hustle that is going to be sustainable. You know, that reminds me of two things. First, the general litmus test that I always have, and it's so basic for any time I come up with a new idea or a new piece of content. Mm. I really try to be honest with myself and say, self, would I actually click on this? Would I seriously click on it? Be super, super honest. Don't project your smartest, most esoteric self in what she would click on. Click on like what you would really click on. And if it doesn't pass that litmus test, I don't do it. And the second thing is your broad idea of like, I want to make people happy, which I hope everybody Mm -hmm. does. I know that's not the case, but, you know, having it broad enough where a bunch of different things, depending on the opportunities that come your way, could fit your general passion. So it's not like hyper specific about punk rock t-shirts. I like to think of it like I want to be blank in blank. I loved Mad Libs. Mm. I still do. I want to be goat in car. Or (laughs) more apropos, Uh I want to be a publicist in the makeup industry. Ah. So you would have two blanks instead of having one blank, which is too broad. So I want to be in the makeup industry is like super broad. And three blanks is too specific. Like I want to be a publicist at a makeup company at L'Oreal in Paris. That's lovely, but maybe that job's not available or whatever. So I like two blanks. And then you come up with a bunch of things in those lists and that widens your potential dream job or your potential side hustle, but like in a responsible way. I really like that. That's great because you're right that you can get way too hyper-specific. I remember... 
I used to, I used to, I used to because now I'm not leaving the house. I used to speak in a lot of journalism classes. And when I would, there would always be one student who would raise their hand and say, I want to work at fill in the blank entertainment weekly. And what are the things that I should do to get there? And my answer is always do not limit yourself based on that one goal. Because if you do that, you are going to turn down a million amazing opportunities that could lead you to all sorts of other spaces that you had not thought about right now, but that I can pretty much guarantee are going to be more satisfying than whatever thing you think you want to get to. Especially because if you have some idea of some perfect job in your head, you don't know if it's actually perfect. You could get there and hate it. And if you spent your entire career just trying to narrowly focus on how to get to this one place and then you get there and you hate it, you are lost. You got nothing. So be open to those opportunities. I think that's a really great way of thinking about it. And also, I want to go back to this thing that you said a minute ago about testing something on yourself, thinking like, would I click on this? Which is a great first step. But I also really encourage people to test things out with people that they do not know. It can be a small number of people, but whatever the thing is, go out there and just get some data. It doesn't matter what it is. All you need is something so you're getting some kind of feedback so that you're able to adjust to what people are thinking about. I was just emailing with this guy who had written a piece for me a long time ago. His name is Josh Sternberg. And he was at a publication and just got laid off like last month. And I saw him send this tweet out like a day after he got laid off or something. It was on the 24th. And it said essentially, hey, would people want to read a newsletter from me? And enough people clicked like on that, <laughs> that he um, launched the newsletter three days later. It's called Media Nut. He was a media reporter. And he's just, he's putting things out. He's watching what people like. He's adjusting on the fly. At this point, it's been just, I mean, what has it been? A week, two weeks? He's got 600 subscribers and his first brand reached out and it was interested in advertising. It's amazing. So what does that tell you? It tells you, test the waters a little bit just make sure that you're like on the right path. You don't need a lot of validation. Will 10 people read the thing that you write? Will 10 people want to pay you $5 for some coaching session? Whatever it is, just go out there and do it and then learn from it. Like it's all about data gathering. Even if it's small, just, just get out there, do it, learn from it. like a Venn diagram often where it's the stuff that I want to do and then the opportunities that I have. And there has to be some realistic balance there because all this stuff I want to do all day long, not going to pay the bills. And all this stuff that I get as opportunities, like, you know, I love our sponsors. They're amazing. But reading stuff for sponsors or doing brand deals, that's not why I went to journalism school. That's not why I wake up in the morning because I'm like, got to read that ad. You know, that's mm -hmm. not obviously my life's purpose. But like, duh, you do stuff that you don't love doing all the time. That's what I say to young women who, you know, I've gone through ups and downs with hiring. And some women have said to me as they were quitting or whatever, after the first week, they're like, I'm just not passionate about what you're doing. I'm like, listen, not everything you have to be passionate about. Like sometimes you have, do you think I'm passionate about this XYZ thing that I'm doing? No, but I have to do it because that's how I can do all the other things that I am passionate about. So I think it's the shaded part of that Venn diagram. That's the sweet spot. Yes, totally. And you know what people really do not like to do, even if they've built a side hustle that they're proud of? It is self-promotion. Yeah. Can I tell you my uh, my little self-promotion discovery? So... 
I have people who are constantly connecting with me on LinkedIn who I don't know. And at first I was like, what do I do with these people? Because isn't LinkedIn supposed to be a place for connections with only people who you've worked with? And eh, no. So I just started accepting them. And I was like, wait a second, but I feel like this is a missed opportunity. I should promote something. But how can I promote something? Isn't it obnoxious to just promote something to random people? And so I stepped back and I thought, okay, wait, the key to this isn't to shove something at people, isn't to feel like I'm shoving something that I did at people. The key is to think and really believe, like internalize this, to really believe that the thing that I have made is of great value to them, that I am doing them a favor by letting them know about this thing because they need this thing. And if I can present it that way, then this isn't just self-promotion. This is value. And so what does that look like? Well, I spent a lot of time thinking about it and playing with it. I started almost kind of A-B testing. I suggest people should A-B test things, which if you don't know what that means, is to like create two versions of something and then send them both out to sets of people and then see which one performs better and then learn from that. And so I started doing that with a message that I would send to everybody that would connect with me on LinkedIn. And I've started to do it as a way to promote my newsletter. I've tried it with a couple other things. But like, for example, as I'm like looking at it now and it starts. So every time somebody connects with me on LinkedIn, I send them the same note and it says, hey, thanks for reaching out. And I hope you're safe and well as the world goes mad. I love connecting with people who do work that excites them. In that spirit, here's the latest thing I'm proud of. And then I tell them about my newsletter and how it's full of advice that I think is going to be really practical for them right now. And that if they subscribe, that they'll be better informed or whatever. And, you know, the conversion rate here is low. Like, understand that most of the time when you reach out to people, it's going to be pretty low. Like, I don't know exactly what it is. It's probably less than 5 to 10%. I mean, on ads, if you run an ad on Facebook and like 1% of people engage with it, you've done a damn good job. Yeah. So it's not going to like blow the doors off. So don't be upset by people who are not responding. But the thing is that if you're confident about something and you feel like you really are providing value, then go out and provide it. it you know, a version of this is my sister is a speech pathologist and as soon as lockdown happened, all these parents, because she's, she's working with kids, like all these parents kind of disappeared and she was talking to me about what to do. And I said, you know what? Could you just offer for like very little money, 10 minute lessons, like just once a week, 10 minutes, because that's manageable for the kid in virtual space. And it's also manageable for the parent who's probably juggling a lot. And then you don't have to charge that much. So it doesn't feel like it's a, like a weight on the back. And the whole point of it is just maintain the relationship. Like it doesn't matter what exactly gets done as long as you're doing something. 10 minutes. And so she was like, oh, that's a good idea. And so she emailed and like a lot of her clients, I think most of her clients said yes to this 10 minute thing. So now that's what she's doing. So like, I, I'm going to loop back to Lauren here. So Lauren has created a tutoring service and now her clients have kind of disappeared. And I suspect she didn't say anything about this, but in her question, I didn't hear a lot of self-promotion. What I heard is a kind of hesitation about going out there and saying, hey, I've got something great. You should use it because it's really valuable to you. And she doesn't sound like she was doing that. You need to internalize. You, I'm talking to like you, Lauren, but also everybody else like Lauren, 
internalize that the thing that you have is a value and that reaching out to somebody right now at a moment where people are in need is actually a really wonderful thing to do for people. You have to understand where they are and how you can serve them right now, yes, and that might mean that you have to charge them a lot less than you would have in BC before coronavirus, but if you have value, you shouldn't be ashamed to go and present that value because it is doing a service to others. You know, I also have an auto response on LinkedIn, funny enough. What is it? I've never seen it. It's, hello, dear. If you have a million dollars, I have a coronavirus <laughs> solution for you. XOXO, your Nigerian princess. <laughs> and that's how we you, do a callback. That was a nice callback. Well, if you, dear listener, have a question for us or a smart way where we can give you a million dollars, why don't you drop us a line? Yes, please. Nicole, what can they do? They can email us at hushmoneypodcast at iheartmedia.com. Yes, they can. And don't just email us. Email us an audio file. Pull out your phone, open the Voice Memo app, and record yourself, just like Lauren did, for 60 seconds. Tell us who you are, what your situation is, what your question is. Send it to us, and then we will either do one of three things. We will um, have an answer for you and put it on the podcast. We will send you a million dollars. You're going to send the million dollars, right? No, what? No. How did I get signed up for this? <laughs> no, there's not even a third option. Whatever. If we pick it, we're going to email them and we're going to use the voice memo. So get out your phone and do it. You can do it. I believe in you. I like it. All right, Nicole, we're done here. And that is Hush Money. Hey, are you subscribed to Hush Money wherever you get your podcasts? You should be. And please give us a rating, which helps others find the show. It sure does. And if you want to keep up with us on social, I'm at Nicole Lappin. Jason is at Hey Pfeiffer. And for the podcast specifically, it's at Hush Money Podcast on Instagram. We've got great people to thank. Our amazing producer is Christina Everett. Thanks also to Mangesh, Hatikador, Will Pearson, Beth Ann Macaluso, and Nikki Etor, and the rest of the great iHeart team. Our sound editing is by Mary Duke. And a special thanks to my badass MBG team, Sabrina Anderson, Megan Nelson, and Kate Garrison. Hush Money is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hold up. 